Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. I'm going to jump in right there. Now, look, last Wednesday night, I I gave you all a, um, I gave you all uh, the beginning of a series that I'm starting here, or excuse me, I gave you all the beginning of a, it's a series within itself almost, it would seem, because I gave you the three chairs. and again, this is not original with me, but this is something that's so impacted my life, and I'm going to take it and work it. I've taken it and worked it to where it's, it's um, what I felt like the Lord had spoken specifically to me about it. But um, in Romans chapter 8, Paul, and by the way, Romans chapter 8 could be a book that stands pretty much by itself almost. It is so full of so much it's just a wealth of, of knowledge. It's just a wealth of good stuff in there. Uh, as Paul opens up, he talks about, I love it, therefore, it talks about uh, walking uh, in the Spirit and, and it describes that there's no more condemnation to those who, who are walking after Christ Jesus. I mean, he just begins to really uh, dive in and tap into this depth. And then he, and then he, he hits a place of, uh, of talking about sonship. And uh, this is really, Galatians, Galatians also describes this. And you have to understand that when we, people ask you, hey, who are you? You know, it's not you yourself by your name. Well, I, my name is this, but in the kingdom of God, who are you? And it's, well, I'm a pastor. No, that's, that's what I do, but that's not who I am. I'm just kind of reiterating some things uh, so you guys are, are with me on that. But um, that's what I do, but that's not who I am. At the, at the foundation of who I am in the kingdom is I am a son. And people say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Show me where it is in Scripture first off. Show me where that's in Scripture because that's not in Scripture. You might have been a sinner previously, but you are now a son or a daughter in the kingdom. You've, you've been transferred from darkness to light. So you can't be in both kingdoms in that sense and identify in that regard as a son or a daughter. So, um, but that that. You you need to know who you are in the kingdom of God. Um, as I as I look in the book of Romans, especially in in chapter fourteen, Paul is talking to them about the spirit of uh, living, walking in the spirit, and and walking in the flesh, and that is the struggle. Hang with me tonight. We're going to talk about these three chairs. Last Wednesday night, I hit the subject of the spirit filled life, and I wish that I could have stayed with that one. Uh, this week, but really to get into the nitty-gritty and talk to where we are as the majority of us in the room are probably believers. I'd say that. I don't want to make it the assumption, but the majority of us in believers, we we vacillate between two specific chairs, and a lot of times we we go from chair number one, which is the spirit-filled life. This is where we all long to be. Chair number one, the spirit-filled life. That is 
the life of a son or a daughter, that they, they don't fight for the love of God. They don't feel like they have to do all these things for God's love, but they do it from the love of God. They understand their position uh, in the eyes of, of, of the Father, so they're seated here. But the problem a lot of times with many of us, and I'm not just throwing it because I struggle with this as well, is we find ourselves getting out from seat number one, and we sit down in seat number two into the soulless life. What is the soulless life? That is a carnal Christian. That is the fleshly Christian. So I'm probably going to get, I, I'm gonna, if I don't step on your toes tonight, then you're Jesus' brother or sister. That's all I'm going to say. Let me rephrase that because they didn't believe in him in the beginning, so I don't know where you're at. Um, but, so, but we probably go from seat one to seat two. Seat number three, and I'll hit it briefly because it doesn't need a lot of description, but it may be where you are tonight. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, seat number three is the separated life. That is the life of someone that is not saved. They, they, are, they are separated from the presence of God. And so they're lost. Their spirit is dead. That's what Paul says, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So the spirit is dead, all right? Until you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the spirit is dead. And so last week I hit the spirit-filled life. And again, I'm not going to revisit a lot of that, but some of this. But I will let you know this. There is only, um, actually, let me read this. Chair number three, let me just give it to you. This is the separated life. Here's the attributes of chair number three, and it should be on the side screens. The first one is this, conflict. You're always in a conflict. Second thing is that you're lost. Um, you're separated, but you're not forgotten. You're without hope. You feel that, but you're not without hope. Does that make sense? You feel hopeless because the enemy has you. Again, just a reminder, anytime you sense the presence of hopelessness or, or uh, depression or any of those things, you can be 100% certain that the enemy is near and you just need to look for a table. Because the Bible says that when I sense the presence of an enemy, he's prepared a table. So I need to find it and sit down and feast because I can eat in the presence of the enemy, right? That's what the psalmist says. Um, you're in rebellion, but that's not just, li- rebellion is not just limited to the separated life, okay? Seat number two and seat number three can both have that rebellious attitude. Um, and you have darkness in the mind. There's no future. Well, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm making all the money. I've got all this stuff. That's great. That's wonderful. That's why Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, because they had all these people that were showing up in his office in their 50s, and they were saying, I feel, like, I, don't, I feel like something's missing. I don't understand. And he would lead people to Jesus, but at the sense, they had made the money. They've got the vehicles. They've done all the stuff, had the house, had the, all of the luxuries and the decadence that this, the so-called the American dream but they still felt like something was missing. That's because they're living in, a se- in, in chair number three, which is a separated life. So hopefully that's no one here, but we'll give you the chance to know who Jesus is tonight, if that's you. But here, what I talked about last week, I gave you six, uh, six attributes and functions that help you uh, underneath the title of abiding in Jesus Christ. I talked about what that meant, okay? But abiding is the key to remaining in chair number one, the spirit-filled life. Understand that. Abiding in Jesus. It's not a striving. It's not trying to fight your way to get into that. You don't have to do that. You have to know that before you do anything in the kingdom of God, he's already embraced you as a father. He is a good Good. I'm not trying to, I don't like the song. I love it because of words, but just, I'm a musical guy. I just don't like the flow. He is such a good father. 
He is so good. And God is always better than you think, by the way. You can't think on the goodness of God and think of his goodness because it's too vast. You're a finite human being. He's an infinite God, right? You're never going to figure him out, so stop trying. Anybody that says they know it all, they have lost it. They have no clue. Because what I've understood, the closer that I get to God, the more he reveals me to myself. And I realize, man, I need you. (laughs) And it's like, it's no longer about sin, right and left. Is this right? Is this wrong? It's all about, God, what are you speaking to me? I want to follow closer. And if I could just add this to this, but when you read and, and, and you, you study, especially uh, in the East, when you see Jesus from the East, so to speak, the way they view him, when they talk, and Jesus was a rabbi, and the way that they would follow rabbis, following Jesus was actually, the Hebrews, everything is, 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 is it's, it's a visual. So when they talk about following Jesus, it is actually, they followed so close to him that the dust that come up from his shoes would kick up on them because they were following closely. He's their rabbi. Now you understand why Peter gets out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat because he says, that's my rabbi, I got to follow I'll leave. That's going to that's gonna come up. You just get ready. Some Wednesday night, I'm going to teach on that because I'm just telling you. We talk about, oh, just the faith of Peter. Maybe so, but Peter says, no, I don't know. I don't think Peter had enough sense. I'm just being honest. I think he sees his rabbi, and because it's their practice to be on the heels of the rabbi, that he gets out of the boat, and he, st- he takes off because he sees his rabbi, and then he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm walking on water, and he starts sinking, Right? But that's where we got to be. Sons and daughters were called to follow. It's not, well, it's, it's a metaphorical speech, Pastor Ray. And no, I, I'm literally, this, how do I follow him? It's action steps through the place of the intimacy of prayer, that secret place of where you're tucked away, and through the word of God. And it's, sometimes it's a discipline, sometimes it's a delight, but you just do it anyway, right? Because we're all learning and we're growing in that. But abiding is the key. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Um, it says this, and this is where I'm going to hang out. Uh, for those who are in accord, who are in accord with the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are, are in accord with the spirit, the things of the spirit. Listen to this. For the mind set on the flesh is death. That's flesh speaks of the carnal believer. But the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself, it does, it does not submit itself, yield itself to the law of God. For it is, even, it is not even able to do so. It has no capacity or an ability to do that. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach and teach topical tonight. I'm going on the subject of focusing in on the soulish life right here in chair number two. The life of the carnal Christian. It's a little convicting when you look at things. And let me give you the soulish life, some attributes of the soulish life. The first thing is that they live in compromise. There's always a compromise. When the, there's a war happening right here. It's a compromise of the mind. You're saved. You believe in the gospel of, the, of salvation, but you never fully enter into the understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. Is there the same thing? Yes and no. Kingdom let, let me say this. Jesus says I'm the door, right? The door to what? Eternal life. It's great. But there is a kingdom. 
Because at some point along the way, we enter into what we have talked about over the weekend in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then there is a functioning that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth where there are specific gifts that have been given to the church. And so many people say, well, I thought all it was is just getting saved. Well, if that's it, why else would we need to live? I'm just asking. But I'm just, my, my point is, is I believe that God has equipped us to function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? For lives to be transformed, for others to believe. But why would he give gifts to the church if all that we're going to talk about is just come get saved and that's it? Just a question. I know it's very surface level, but why do we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So there's the gospel of salvation. Living for God, but yet at the same time, there is an orphan mentality. There is a slave mentality. What is an orphan spirit? It is a slave mentality. It's, a, it's where you're constantly having to do things uh, to, to feel like you're getting God's approval. You can tell us, well, I don't, I don't think that way, but only you know that. That's the, the orphan, the orphans live without a father. The, the root meaning, people say, well, it's just children without parents. But according to seeing Jesus from the east, the way that the Hebrew people teach it is that an orphan is an orphan when the father is not home. That's the way they teach it because the father is the one that taught in the home. Again, mom and dad as well, but the father would teach, and, and, and they would sit around the table. They would learn the word of God. They would get it to the point to where, again, he's being visual as he teaches. But we, And so in the church, we have people that, live in the soulless realm and sit in chair number two, and they have an orphan mentality, which means that they, they, they know about God, but they really don't know God. They have a, a slave mentality in the sense of where, like, I feel like that I've, gotta, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to give. I've got to attend a church. That, what does that sound like? That, that sounds like you're stuck in a rut of got to do this and got to do that, but there's, there's no... There's no spiritual tie to my soul that actually brings me into life and life more abundant. Because Jesus, that's what he came to give. And he is the elder, he's our elder brother. I know he's God incarnate. He's our elder brother. He was the, he was the only begotten that became the firstborn from the dead so that he could produce many sons. Right? That's who he is. So you've got, everybody, listen, you've got to look at Jesus and see him as a son, modeling that for you to understand what it means to be that. He is Christianity. That's who he is. We ask, when we sit in chair number two, we're constantly asking God to bless us. Now, I've been, I've been accused of this, right? Ask God to bless what we're doing. God, I'm just asking you to bless this. I, I think that if you're walking in the will of God and you're following after the things of God when God opens doors for you to do things, I think, you, I think he's blessing what you're doing because you're following. Does that make sense? So it's, oh, I'll dig into it. I got to keep moving. There's, there's a constant heart of striving. There's a lot of insecurities. Listen, I'm talking to myself too, all right? Um, there's a lot of fear. Everything is uh, the fear of man, the fear of what people are going to think about you, the fear of missing out, the FOMO of everything. No, it's all right. Just say no. You can't make it. It's good. You need to rest your soul and your body and be with your family anyway. It's okay. May God anoint your no. <laughs> Let me just say that. There is restlessness. You're restless. 
You feel like you never get enough rest. You're emotionally, people say, I'm just tired. Now, if you're tired, you could take a nap and be good. And what's wrong with you is you're depleted. When you're depleted, you have nothing to give, which just means emotional and mental fatigue, and you can't sleep that and make it feel better. There has to be a connection to a father, and you have to know his nature. Otherwise, it never changes. You with me? There is a constant looking for a visitation. Well, if I could just, instead of living in the habitation of God. I know I'm not trying to, pre- I know that sounds preachy and sounds great, but, but it's learning how to follow the presence and stay in it. Become aware that he's always with you and you have to practice the presence, which means that I have to stop during my day and turn my heart of a fit. I'm taking my time to teach this because I want to make sure it gets home. If I can't get it all, then we'll just roll it out and hit it until we finish it all, okay? I want to take my time with it. But you've got to learn what it means to honestly practice presence. When you, when you get into your vehicle, some of you that travel and you work, I know some of you travel and uh, uh, drive all over the place when you have to work, and you just put, you put the, the worship on songs that are specifically ministering to you. And don't push your songs on me, by the way. What's ministering to you is ministering to you, not me. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, really. I'm kidding. It sounds bad coming from a worship leader. Dear God, I've just offended the whole church. Well, you can choose to stay in offense. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, I'll leave that. I'm trying to justify it. See, all right, AJ, get out of soul. I got to get out of this chair right here. Some of y'all think I'm right here, but I got to get out right here and move right here. All right, so I'll move on. All right, so you're looking for a visitation when you don't understand that you can live in a habitation. You really can. That I can stop wherever I'm at and just, I'm telling you, I can feel, you can't say father. Uh, um, you can't say father as an orphan. You can say it. But there's something happens when I say it as a son because it's a term of endearment. When I say father, I know, I know. All I need is his approval and hers. <laughs> That's all I need. Whatever anybody else thinks is great, although that she's trying to deliver me from that from time to time. But ter- father is a term of endearment. When, I, when you say father, you close your eyes and you think, I, I want you to do that. I want you to close your eyes all over the room. We're going to do this. And I want you to right now just think on good, the goodness of God, the times that he's moved in your life. And now I just want you to, with your eyes closed, I want you to say, Father. Let's say it again. Does anything begin to move and stir in your heart? Because I'm going to tell you something. If I set myself in the presence of God and I close my eyes and I say, Father, I can feel it. I know what it's like to have a good earthly dad, a good spiritual dad. I know what it's like to have people that affirm you and speak words of life into you and spend time with you and teach you how to pray and walk with you. But there's nothing that could beat the presence of God. In the times whenever I've been by myself, I remember the night that my dad died and I was they had already came and got him. All the family had left. Mom was in her back room, and I was in that living room, and I was just sitting there. And I just remember feeling, God, what am I going to do? This, I never saw this happen. He was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And I remember in a moment, I felt, I'm telling you, it was tangible. I felt the presence of God. I didn't hear a word. I just felt like he just wrapped me up. And I look back on that moment and on that night, that was the Father letting me know I'm with you. Now, I walked through a lot of hell of my own doing after that fact, but when I came back, I'm just telling you, my goodness, to know the goodness of a loving Father that He has never left. He has walked every step with me, 
And at moments, he carried me, and when I was acting a fool and stupid, he had grace, and there was mercy. That's who he is, and you've got to know him that way. There's nothing you can do that can separate. You've got to find yourself, if you're living in the soulless realm, that you've got an orphan mentality. You're living life without a good father. Without a spiritual father, not talking about in the natural spirit, I'm talking about him. He is your father. You're living separate from that. You have a childish attitude. You take offense easy. Not the world. We know they're offended already. But the believer struggles, and everything someone says offends you. You're always, people have to walk, if people have to walk on eggshells with you, what's wrong with you? Can I be pastoral? Why is it that people have to, why do we have to walk on eggshells with certain people? No, no, we won't. Because that means you, I have a fear of of man. I have a fear of how you're going to react. Because it is a reaction, it's not a response. What did we say? Reaction is a negative action. Response means that you are setting in a place of ease. You're good with who you are. So there is also living a life of a roller coaster. Your, your emotions are up and your emotions are down. There's always, it, it, you're never in a place of contentment. And I'm not looking at my wife. I will not look at Crystal right now. You're walking in the flesh. You don't live a faith-filled life. You live a doubt-filled life. Let me just ask you a question. When something happens and the bad circumstance comes and the stuff hits the fan, how, how, I want to say how do you react, but I guess that's it. How, how do you react? What is your first initial thought? Is it, oh man, it's just, I might as well just go, go down to Shackleford's and go ahead and pick out my stuffs because it's over. <laughs> or do you see it? It knocks your foundation a little bit. It shakes you a little bit, but then you stop and say, wait a second. God, last I checked, you've never lost a battle. Last I checked. AJ, could you give me a little bit more volume on this mic, please? So here we go. Chair number one, we live out of the spirit man. Chair number two, we live out of our mind, our will, and our emotions. The soulless realm is mind, will, and emotions. Chair number one, we learn to trust. Chair number two, we spend loads of time trying from our own flesh. What can I do by my flesh and by me? What can AJ do? What can I produce? Chair number one, there is rest. And there is a fight to get into it. There is a fight to enter rest in every moment and season. Chair number two, there is always conflict and there's always struggle. You're always, when you talk to him, it's just years and years and years ago, I'll put it that way, a long time ago, there was a person that I would always, she's, she doesn't attend church here, but I would walk up to her, and it's the first few times, it takes me a few times to figure it out, but I'd walk up to her and I'd say, Miss so-and-so, how are you doing? Oh, and then here she would go. It's like, oh, my goodness, why did I do this? So I'm like, what? And I would try to encourage her. Well, I think it'll turn around, you know, just to try, and, but it never, and I'd, Next Sunday, I'd do it again. 
It took me about four Sundays, and then I just stopped going that way. It's like, well, we're not walking down that aisle. And then she was asking, so he don't come to talk to me after he comes off the stage anymore. I don't understand what's going on. It's like, oh, my goodness. Don't be that person. <laughs> if I'm avoiding you, that's not the reason why. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to loosen it up because it's really tight. It's kind of like uh, Miss Liz and Jackson says, it's tight, but it's right. <laughs> Chair number one, we learn how to be receivers. You receive from the Father. Chair number two, it's all about what you can achieve. What can I do? How can I, I, I? It's my and I. Chair number one, we go to the Father first, and then we make decisions. Some of us need that. You're making decisions on a whim because you're seated in chair number two about maybe it's a job, maybe it's a career or a calling or whatever it may be, but you've got to get out of seat number two and get yourself, get at the feet of the Father and ask, God, what say you about this situation? What do you have to say about where I'm at? Well, I haven't heard anything. Well, then keep praying. That means that he hasn't answered yet, so don't just take it upon yourself and make an, an Abrahamic uh, uh, decision and produce an Ishmael. I'm going to say it again. You get in a hurry and you try to force the hand of God and as Pastor Eddie, I've said it before too, he will, let, he will give you what you want. But guess what? When he gives it to you in your way, it's going to be on life support because it's premature. And it's going to take twice as much of your own strength to keep that baby alive whenever you could have completely give it to God and it had been a sweatless thing that you would have never had to fight for or contend for. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're constantly living like, well, they just, they, they got my position. Well, they just took this over here. Well, they, I just, you, I, I hate to be, I'm going to be honest. You, you have an orphan mentality because you, you think that, that God is limited in his resources. He's infinite. We can't get things when we want them. We have to be patient because we're sitting right here. God, I don't care. If you don't, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to clinch it. I'm going to hold on to it. Right here, we talk about it often, especially with finances, but it's every aspect of your life. Right here, you have to learn, and you will because it's trust. You have to learn to live like this. So if God puts friends in your life, because he's directing your steps. He puts you. And then all of a sudden we get a friend we like or a relationship we like, clinch. And the moment I clinched it, I just moved chairs. Why? Because it felt so good. It was good. It was right. And then all of a sudden when God starts to rip it out of your hands because that season's come and gone and that person shifted, or maybe you've shifted and you're not right for them anymore. I'm talking about, it could be, I'm not talking about marriages, by the way. You're stuck with that person. But when God tries to rip it out of your hand, it's going to hurt because he can rip it out of your hand. Or he can let you keep it until eventually you move from the soulish life to the point to where you don't even believe if God's real or not. So you move into a separated life. I know it hurts, but do you think that God doesn't know the end from the beginning for your life? Just asking the question. You've got to learn to live like this. That's with everything. Every piece of your world has to be lived with your hand open because it's, he's the God who gives and the God who takes. If God says no in this season, hear me, somebody. This is a word for somebody. If God is saying no in this season, that means that 
the answer is going to gain interest, and it's going to come in a way that's going to bless you in such a way that it's your, I'm just telling you, it's him, not you. It's him. If he's saying no right now, just say, you know what you're doing? I'm going to keep praying about it. I'm not going to beg you for that. What I'm, all right, I'm going to leave that. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. I'll leave that alone. That's in part. Um, chair number two, we make our decisions and hope God will approve, <laughs> right? That's what happens. Chair number one, we go to the Father first and make decisions. Chair number two, we make our decisions and hope, oh, God, I just hope that you'll approve of what I've done. I just hope. Chair number one, we find out what God is doing and he's blessing, and we get in the flow of that river, whatever he's anointing and blessing. God, who are you blessing? That's a good question. God, who are you blessing? How can I bless them the way that you're blessing them? What can I contribute to what you're doing? You understand that we are co-laborers with Jesus. That's, that, people say, well, that's not God is sovereign. Absolutely, but the scripture also says that the earth he has given to man. He's given it to you. He wants to partner with his sons and daughters to see his kingdom fill the earth, to see it invade the earth. That's his heart and that's his desire. I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. Um, one of the greatest hindrances in reaching a lost world is an unbelieving believer. Well, I'm a believer, but you don't really believe. At least the man that had the son that was thrown in the fire and thrown in the water, whenever he came down, at least the father was honest. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think that's a great prayer to pray. I prayed it this week earlier. God, I believe, but the times that I have been in unbelief, when I have prayed for people or just in my thoughts, help me, God, and forgive me of my unbelief because I want to believe. I want to continue to believe. When you ask God to increase your faith, get ready for a storm. That's how it comes. The only way that you expand and grow in this walk of the believing Christian life is that you face things. But people, oh, I, I dread that. Well, there you go. You already got that reaction. Do you not under, you're not walking by yourself. You're sitting in chair number two. It's a soul. I got I to. Gotta, no, 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 no. Okay, whatever comes, God, I'm, I'm right here. I'm going to sit right here, and I'm not getting up. I'm staying in a spirit-filled life. These are the ones that just have enough. The ones that is unbelieving believers are the ones that have just enough of Jesus to get to heaven when they die, but not enough of Christ to invade earth with heaven's power. You repent enough to be saved, but you don't repent enough to see the kingdom come. There's a difference. What did Jesus say? Repent so that you can go to heaven. No, he didn't. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom is here. What is my place in the kingdom of God? Everybody in this room, well, they took my place, Pastor AJ. No, they did not. Every one of us have a specific, this is really flat line and just really general, but every one of us here in this room have a, a specific destiny and a calling in the kingdom of God, and nobody else can fulfill that except for you. I mean that. I look across the room and see faces. Nobody else can fulfill what you can do for God's kingdom. You are distinct. You are unique. You are I mean, when you come and you join into the body of, in this room, there are so many gifts and so many abilities and, and, and callings and talents in the room. But what God's looking for is a submission and a yieldedness. If you're in the soulish realm, the carnal believer, you need to get out of that chair. I'll help you, hopefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
I may read some of this, but Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. They're very charismatic. They're very dysfunctional. If you read the history of them, they are. And he's taught, he said, look, brothers and sisters, this is the believers, okay? He's addressing the believers, not unbelievers. He said, I, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not, uh, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now, you were not even yet able, for you are still fleshly. You're still carnal. For since there is a jealousy and a strife, it's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like ordinary people? For when one person says, I'm with Paul, another says, I'm Apollos, are you not ordinary people? Paul is addressing the, the, the brethren, which is the Christians, and goes on to describe them as carnal. And, and what we must understand is that while a Christian can live a carnal, fleshly life, a true Christian will not remain carnal for a lifetime. You, the, there is a luke, I believe it, it speaks to lukewarm. It's a lukewarm believer. There's someone that, that the Bible says that the Lord will spew you out of his mouth. Or you've compromised to the point where you, you, don't, you no longer have a burning zeal. There's no desire. If you don't desire the spiritual things of God anymore, then you need to check yourself. You need to, I think about it, we were leaving uh, D.C. airport, it's been a few years ago, we went to a conference up there, and uh, we're, we're, um, we're, it's taken us a while to get the plane, we finally got on the plane, we actually got to the end of the runway, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? Or maybe we never did board the plane, I thought we got to the end of the runway, maybe I'm thinking about another flight, or maybe it was a dream, oh dear God, <laughs> anyway, um, but we're in the airport, and uh, the guy comes on the intercom, and, and they said that there was an issue with the the tail right and uh what had happened one of the guys i heard one of the people over talking that as they did their their gauges and their checks on the dashboard something flashed up and it showed that it was not correct and so when it started to hit me i was thinking to myself now i gotta preach the next sunday so i'm looking for whatever i'm like oh i could use that well, I may not even make it back tomorrow. I don't know where we're going to be because the, the flight was delayed and all that stuff. We're sitting in D.C. airport. So um, after that thought, I was thinking to myself, man, but how many times has the Holy Spirit, like, you, you don't need to take off. You, you need to stay where you're at. But because of my, my, uh, my ability to not hear the voice of the Lord or not recognize whenever these flashing lights are saying, Stay where you're at, don't move. Or whenever there's an issue, but I just keep walking and not even paying attention to it. How many times has that happened? And I'm thankful that they know what they're doing, but yet in the spirit, we act like, well, I can just repent at some point in my life, and it's not a big deal. Can you? I'm just saying, is that something that could set you off track for the rest of your life and destroy a future? Destroy other lives around you because you neglected to hear God's voice and because you were living in a place of being lukewarm and somebody was watching your lifestyle? They're a believer. It'd be funny to walk into church on a Sunday morning and I walk back to the nursery and I see a 50-year-old man that's seated in one of the rockers in the nursery with a pacifier in his mouth. Might not be funny? Or y'all... <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Y'all awake? <laughs> uh, the tragedy is that the churches are filled with many. Maybe not ours, but they're filled with many that have an orphan mentality, been saved for years, but have never really fully matured, never really fully pursued Jesus. I was reading 
um, I was reading one of the stats on this, but they did a survey on a, a, a thousand church attenders in a specific area, and they asked the question, why does the church exist? Listen to what they said. 98% said the church's purpose was to take care of my families and my spiritual needs. Only 11% said the purpose was to win the world for Jesus Christ. 98% said my family and my spiritual needs. The 11% said we got to do something about the world because it's lost. When you begin to mature from the milk and move into the meat, the focus no longer becomes about you. It becomes about God. I look around and I see a harvest field. So where, what is your focus? Because the soulless chair sits and thinks about itself. The spirit-filled life looks around and says, there's a lot of people in big need right now. Paul said to follow me as I follow Christ. Here's what I want to tell you. You've got to be faithful. Just give you a few little just steps. What does faithfulness look like? You need to string together some daily, desi- uh, some, some daily disciplines of get you a devotional. Start with getting word inside. You've got to get the word inside, regardless if you remember it or you don't remember it. It's got to get in you. As you read it, I promise you, and as you're consistent to it, I promise you that all of a sudden things will begin to shift in the mind. I'm telling you, this is exactly some of the people that I've talked to over the years and, and their journey and as, now that they're, you know, they're doing great things for the kingdom of God. It all started, it, you know, Radical is not getting on the missions field and, and going and, and, and raising the, the dead and doing all the signs. That's wonderful and that's great. Radical to me looks like decades of faithfulness, one step at a time, one verse at a time, one prayer at a time, one, one yielded heart at a time before every day I get up and yield again. That is just being faithful. Be faithful. There's something to be said about faithful people. And pray and listen to what he says. We must follow those God has put in front and before us or over us as their example. There are trailblazers that have blazed trails for me to walk in a path that they have blazed. And it was hard on them, but it's been easier on me. I'm blazing my own trail. Families, moms, and dads, you're blazing trails right now. Are you blazing a trail of a soulless life to where the the pop culture is more important, whatever's trending is the most important thing? Or do you set an example as to let them see you pray, let them see you read scripture, hear you make declarations, or what are you playing in your house? What plays on the one-eyed devil as I was raised to hear all the time? In your, on your TV set, what music is in the vehicle? What items are in the house? Is it a soulless lifestyle or is it a spirit-filled lifestyle? Are you selective about who we, who we hang out with? Not just our children. I'm talking about my, who, do, who am I hanging out with? Am I careful about what I hear and what I watch and what I see? The baby Christian only wants milk. Because that's all that he or she can handle. That's all that they can take care of and take in. The spiritual meat, you want to know what it is that Paul speaks of, and I'll give you the scripture just shortly. The spiritual meat is understanding and applying the full implications of the reality of our salvation in Jesus. Who we are and whose we are. I've got to find myself getting out of this chair somehow. I can't stay here. Hebrews 5 says, Paul tells me, he said, at this point, you all should have been teachers. 
But you have me, I have to come again and teach you the elementary foundations of all of this stuff, the principles of the actual words of God. You're still needing the milk and you're not needing the solid food. For everyone who partakes of the milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature. He who, pra- who, he who uh, excuse me, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Paul even goes on to mention the marks of a carnal Christian. Here's three. Envy, strife, divisions. There was discontentment, discord, and division among the, the believers in Corinth. Romans 7 references that Paul states that there is this war, and this is the Apostle Paul. He said there's this war, a civil war that's waging on the inside of me. It's raging and waging. And, and, and he wants to do good, but the struggle is, man, I, I just find myself not doing it. He was one that spoke often about the war of the spirit and of the flesh because the spirit is always willing, but the flesh is weak. When you come to Jesus, Pastor Eddie talked about it Sunday, and just to echo it just a moment, you're tripartite. You're a three-part being. You're a, you're a spirit person first. If you never get saved, guess what? The spirit remains dead, and there is hell. And we spend eternity there if we do not come to Jesus and get saved. But when we get saved, the spirit man comes to life. We make decisions right here in the mind, the will, the emotions. This is called the soul. That is the soulish life. So are you, are you, is your spirit making decisions that has been awakened by the goodness of Jesus? Or is it the soul, which is the fleshly carnal desires of what I want all the time? Which one is governing and which one's winning in your life? That's what I'm trying to get to you. Because, I mean, this all points back to it's the heart of an orphan. If that's it, the attitude of an orphan, the mindset of an orphan. My mind without the Holy Spirit will cause me to believe my doubts and doubt my beliefs. Faith is not belief without proof. I'm going to say this a couple of times, and I'm about to land the plane because I don't have time to finish. Faith is not belief without proof. It's trust without reservation. Let me say it again. Faith is not belief without proof. It is trusting without reservation. If I say I trust you, God, then that means whatever happens, I'm I'm, I'm not going to put a reservation on how I trust you. If I have a family member that is sick and about to pass away and you're believing until their last breath, I know I've been there. I have been there more than once. God, I just believe it's going to turn. I believe it's going to turn. And when they don't, how does your heart turn? Do you still trust him without reservation? Miss Amy, if you would, or who, whoever wants to come play. I, I want to say this, and I shared this story because I shared it here not too long ago about the pagan, the pagan uh, believer that I encountered. I had never in my life, I have, I have met nuns, not the, the monastery nuns, <laughs> the NONEs that didn't believe anything. I've met agnostics. I've met those that didn't believe in God in any capacity. That, but I've never met a pagan. They, it's, it's funny because I started making a joke with him. But um, anyway, but he, he I, I asked him the conversation coming up, and I said, I said, Charlie, how did you become a pagan? Well, there was a broken heart because he started off and he said, well, my son. And I was like, I know, I already know where he's going with this. His son died, and he was broken, and he believed that God would heal his son. I don't know what his journey with God was. 
Because a lot of people don't fully understand. I mean, there's even destructive insurance clauses that calls it the God clause. If something destroys, it's an act of God, you know? But the majority of people, because they don't walk in intimacy and they never pursue that, it doesn't have to be just a pastor or a leader of a church. It's anybody. Anybody can hear from God. Anybody can prophesy. Anybody can heal the, heal the sick, raise the dead. Anybody can do these things. But because we haven't matured from milk to meat, we sit right here. And we live like this with our fists clenched. And so when stuff comes, because life is going to come, it's going to hit, and it's going to be rough. And in that moment, your journey with the Lord, your relationship with God, how you view God is so important in every season of your life, but especially when a storm comes. Your view of God can either paralyze you and leave you in a place of bitterness, especially to leave you in, a, in, in this spot or move you here, or you can put your money where your mouth is and say, I don't know why this happened, but I know in whom I believe, and he's still faithful. I believe in the seasons whenever there is the I just won't leave it at deaths, but there's been deaths because that's usually what rocks people, and that's what happened to Charlie. The death of his son rocked him as it would anybody to the point to where he opened his arms trying to look for help, and the only ones that would embrace him was the community that he's a part of now. But in, I, this is what I'll tell you, and I'm going to close. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to give you just a little tidbit to, and, and give you an invitation. I believe that when these seasons come and it's devastating, whether it's the loss of a loved one, it's the loss of a job, whether it's there's you know financial bankruptcy or you lose this or you lose that, whatever that big storm that blows through and, or that the husband leaves the house, the wife leaves the house and the, it splinters the family, whatever it may be, I think that in that moment, and I, look, I listen back to one of my generals in the faith and when he when he lost his dad and even just lost his wife, that he just lifted his hand and he said, God, there's so much confusion. There's so much disarray. And right now I'm, in, I'm sitting in a, in a place. Now, I'm, this is my words. I'm sitting in a soulish realm because I can't see the full picture of what you're trying to do. But what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you a sacrifice of praise because I know you're still good. I think what happens is that you put away the bottle in that season and then you pull up a stake and you begin to feast because you get out of chair number two and you sit in a spirit-filled life chair and you mature. Because in that, you don't know. You don't know. We don't know why things happen the way they do. So we can't describe them. Maturity happens. Growth happens. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to be easy. But in that season, as what the Lord has taught me, if I just offer up a sacrifice of praise, because you can't give him a sacrifice of praise there. There's, there, there's, no, there's not going to be any more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more issues or problems when we get there. All that's going to be is just worship. So I give him a sacrifice right here, right now, in the midst of confusion, the midst of doubt, uncertainty, don't understand what's happening. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that you mature spiritually because you're learning the nature of God to worship him. Job is a prime example to worship God in all seasons, right? Stand to your feet.
I want to pray with you. Is there been anything that I have spoken tonight that maybe has spoke to you about where you feel like that, man, Pastor AJ, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting in chair number two, and I need, I need to repent. Some areas. I'm not gonna. I'm, you're gonna call to the, come to the front. And I'm just gonna have you bow your heads just to honor those around you, because I want to make this private between you and them, uh, where you're not looking. And I, I, I want you to um, just right now, if, if that's you, anything I've specifically said, just raise your hand so that I can see it. I want to pray with you. Uh, you feel like that you're seated in that chair number two, and it needs to move to one. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray. These hands that are lifted up right now, and it starts honestly at a place of just, God, I'm sorry. The way that I've thought, what I've said, and what I've done, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to cleanse me, and you make that your words right now. I repent for thinking the way that I've thought. I no longer want to walk after the things of my flesh. But, God, I'm making a decision tonight. I'm shifting my perspective to know that you have more for me. You have a life that doesn't serve my purposes, but it serves yours. And that you would go on to say, God, not my will, but yours, whatever that looks like. Some of you are in, in, in a valley of decision, of deciding which direction to take for your career, for your future. I specifically feel this directed towards some teachers. You don't know what the step is looking into the, into the fall. You've been trying to weigh the options, but I'm just here to tell you that the Lord says, just wait. Just wait. Don't get in a hurry. Father, I, I pray that whatever decisions that we're up against tonight would not be made from the soul, but they would, made, they would be made from the life of seeking after spirit, seeking after your face, Seeking after your will and not ours. Come on, some of you need to pray that specifically. God, I want what you want, not what I desire. Thank you, Lord, so much for your presence. I thank you for hearts being transformed tonight and that there is an impartation of fresh zeal. A zeal to pursue you and nothing else. Thank you, Lord. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.